Good morning, and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumpster, and today we're going to be talking with Mike Hootie and Isaac Thompson from Modern Hire. Modern Hire is, is the company that results from merging Montage, which was a video interviewing platform, and Shaker, which was a deep research assessment modeling company, into a single um, offering that gets you some level of advanced screening in the hiring process. So, Mike, Isaac, how are you? Doing well. Doing well. Good morning, John. So, would each of you take a moment and introduce yourself? Sure, glad to. So this is Mike Hootie. I'm a Chief Science Officer at Modern Hire, and backgrounds, I'm a PhD in Industrial Organizational Psychology, and have been in the uh, talent assessment space, pre-employment assessment, talent acquisition space, pretty much my whole career, 20 plus years, and um, also uh, uh, one of the founding partners of, you know, John mentioned the, the one, the assessment research side of Shaker International is one of the uh, founding partners of Shaker International. And Isaac, Isaac, how are you? Yeah, thanks for having us on, John. Um, I'm Isaac Thompson. I first joined Modern Hire in 2017. Uh, I was the first data scientist. It was a small company. came from Red Hat. Um, you know, my job is being a key to building out solutions that have never existed, um, AI solutions. And that's a curvy road. Uh, and hopefully we can get into that, the, the interesting findings along that road. Uh, in this podcast, um, what we found with AI is is amazing, and and there is a story there. So Modern Hire is this mashup of of two companies happened around the end of last year. What is the what does the complete company do? So the simple way of describing it is we really help company we help companies make better, faster, more fair decisions about talent in their hiring process. At the same time, we're creating um, personalized, engaging experiences for candidates. So like at a high level, like why does it exist? What are we trying to do? That, that's what Modern Hire is all about. The, the Getting into the how we do it, uh, and John, you touched on it already a bit, but you know, so our platform combines pre-employment assessment with interview technology, interview technology being video, interview, uh, audio, text, on-demand, uh, and live auto-scheduling. So those are all the tools we have in our toolkit. And then underlying that all, uh, kind of best-in-breed science on that platform that includes uh, advanced analytics and, and artificial intelligence like uh, Isaac referenced, all on kind of one platform. And we're fortunate enough to, we, we actually work with big companies. We work with 47 of the Fortune uh, 100. And just to give you a feel for the kind of scale that we're, we're working with, in 2019, we, um, we touched over 20 million candidates, either through assessment or interview tech. And what we're seeing so far in 2020 in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis is actually volumes are, are ramping up. We're seeing even more candidate uh, touches here in, uh, in uh, 2020. So that's great. So, so essentially what you're saying is that the company offers a technical solution that should be more cost-effective 
of managing the front end of recruiting and you use an entire bank of technology to get there, some of which is AI. So, so in all of That's that, right. you know, to make, to make a company fly, there has to be a sort of an underlying big question. What's the big question? Yeah, I love, I love that question. Um, and we're pretty passionate about it. I mean, when we, when we brought these two organizations together, the real, the problem uh, and the, that we were solving, the thesis we came together to solve is that hiring is fundamentally broken. That if you look at the typical hiring process, it consists of a series of disjointed point in time solutions where candidates get handed off from one vendor to another in that journey and creates a, a poor candidate experience. But the other thing it does is it, is it creates a loss of data. So when, for instance, when you candidate comes, hits an applicant tracking system, fills out some information, provides some information, that's one hurdle, and then they're moved on to the next vendor, as they move on, which might be a pre-employment assessment. Their data doesn't travel with them. It just stays with the applicant tracking system and then on to the vendor, the assessment provider who administers an assessment, scores it up, it uses potentially a hurdle, and then they move on to the next step of the process should they advance. And again, the data doesn't travel with them. And so really the big problem we we're trying to solve is that brokenness and to say, okay, what, what it really should be is a seamless, personalized conversation between company and candidate from post-apply to hire. All of that data, you continue to learn about the individual. And as you learn about that individual, you add that data to the equation. You get a more robust understanding of the individual and you, you're in a better position to make smarter decisions as a result of that. that that's pretty interesting. Does yeah. that, am I hearing you say that the, that the roadmap includes an ATS and, and all the places where the data is stored or, or what, what's the answer that you offer to the, to the problem that you described? Well, we, we never want to be an ATS. We're not, going to solve, we're not going to go there. But what we can do is take the data that's collected in an ATS um, and add it into our algorithms to process it alongside uh, pre-employment assessment data, uh, interview data, and any other data that we can get in that journey from that post-apply, meaning post-ATS, um, all the way to hire. Cool. You know, the, so the underlying – go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, like, the big question, one of the interesting things about Montage is that it was built on the foundation of virtualizing interviews. And Shaker was built on the foundation of virtualizing assessments, especially trying out the job, these high-fidelity assessments. So in a virtual world, you have to still figure out how to pair skilled and motivated labor with those opportunities. And you have to do that virtually. And that's where the AI comes in. Um, and there's a, like within AI, we're dealing with like, who was talking about how to create a generalizable AI. This would look across data types, resumes, interviews, situations, even acoustic data. Um, we want to try to train this AI to understand and have confidence and surety around its predictions, how it promotes or, or it represents the human to decision makers. Um, but at the end of the day, how I look at it is, you know, the, rather than being a pure judge, it, we have to have a platform 
to be a facilitator, to have that conversation between labor and opportunity. Um, and hopefully we can, we can be that facilitator and, and, ha- and be a, a platform that allows that conversation to happen when so many, so many tides in the world try to push away that conversation with like human biases, for example. Yeah, well, in that in that sort of scenario, you have to have a really solid grasp of the underlying culture of the company. So, so are you imagining assessing that, or um, or, or doing some work in this? What's the what's the context that's larger than the job? Sort of question. Yeah, we do that. We represent that today uh, in, in a couple of different ways. So for some of our clients, we actually design um, culture fit measures, a actual measure to get kind of go in, assess what are the key elements of the culture and really the key elements that make it different than other cultures. Um, that that this is the type of this is the type of culture and this is the type of individual that works really well in this culture. So we have measures like that, and that's one way of tackling it. The other way of doing it is just doing it through pure analytics. Is is that we model against company specific metrics and outcomes. So we we start with measures, and then we're basically tuning it to that environment, meaning the metrics and what defines success. Those success criteria we're using are reflective of the culture, what drives success in that environment. So being able to tune our algorithms to a specific company metrics represents it as well. So what do you mean by culture, John? That's a great question. That's a great question. And and I imagine you guys have to have an answer to that in order to represent it. (laughs) I'm I'm less clear about what culture means. Um, um, It's a word that's tossed around pretty heavily actually and um uh, and nobody means the same thing when they when they use it to describe it so that's that's that that'll be key in understanding what you do but my rather than run down that rabbit mm. hole um yeah um the question that i want to ask you is uh if you if you model the company's desired outcomes how do you avoid perpetuating the biases that exist in the company Isaac, do you want to take that one or do you want me to take it? I, I could take a stab. You know, the okay. the interesting thing that you, you said, the nuance around culture, I have a love-hate relationship with that word. I don't like it when it's used to perpetuate the status quo and the norm of a company and to perpetuate their biases. So we're a flip-flop organization. We hire people only with flip-flops. That's, that's not, so we, we need to try to understand what is culture? What are those key elements of culture? Um, and really like Hootie mentioned, try to distill and find what are the job relevant constructs inside of that? Like, um, if it's flip-flops, that might be, well, it's actually adaptive. It's free. It's autonomy. Um, if it's customer service, obsession it might be something about making sure customer service is forefront in all of the conversations that you have and that can be a job relevant construct so distilling and and differentiating between just cultural norms and actually job relevant criteria i think is key for us to build these algorithms and train them on so so 
again, I, I, I think I think we should probably have a long show just on this topic. I imagine yeah. this is an astonishing time to be thinking about that question because now that the status quo is interrupted, it's a remarkable time to be able to see what the culture actually is in the company, right? Yeah, and, and so, so, so I, I am going to assume that 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 every spare eyeball is attuned to that question there because the difference between what you do in times of abundance and, the, and what you do in times of scarcity is. Um, um, where where you get enough data points to actually flesh out what the culture is, um, but let's 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 sort of leap from there into the in, into what makes this such a great opportunity to see what culture is. Um, you guys must be flooded with um, people trying to figure out how to do the components of recruiting that you do cheaper. And more effectively, given radically increased uh, candidate volume. So, tell me about what's going on in the in the virus world, you guys. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, we we haven't seen anything like this, this pandemic. But what we have seen, we've been through cycles. We've been doing this a long time. So, we've lived through the previous two recessions, and we see kind of how things change. Um, between, you know, as John, you said, the, the abundance versus scarcity models. And um, there's certain lever, levers that kind of move in these different environments. So we've been in this very long run of um, record low unemployment. And really what evolved there, this long run, is, is, is the candidate as king. Um, and candidate experience addressed and became a, a, a refrain of all our clients, and rightly so. We, we started the company with this idea of um, candidate experience and thinking about the candidate first. So it really swung around um, to that, and it was about candidate experience and then also efficiency. Like we want to quickly process candidates because they have so many opportunities. They're not going to hang out at our career site. They're not going to go through our process, so we need to quickly move them along. So it's really a candidate experience focus and an efficiency focus. Now in an environment where we have fewer jobs and we have an abundance of candidates, candidate experience is still important. You don't want to undo all the goodness we did there. Um, and efficiency is uh, still important. But what comes into play, an increased focus, is on quality. Now I have so many candidates for every opening. I need to figure out which ones are the quality ones, which ones are going to, to perform in my environment. So there's a, there's a real focus on I can't touch any one of, I can't touch all these candidates anymore. So I need tools and I need smart science to help me kind of tier candidates so that I know, okay, of these 100 candidates, these are the best fit 20 and I'm going to start with those and kind of work my way down. So it kind of flips to a quality, uh, a quality focus. The other thing that we saw is with, with the, um, the environment that it was and, and candidates having all the choice, there was a huge focus on retention, turnover as the driver. So many of our clients were just, just get us people that are going to come here and they're going to stay and then we'll figure out, you know, how to train them up and get them to perform. Now, when, when you have a scarcity of jobs, you know, turnover is going to go down on its own now. 
So that's kind of less of a focus, and now companies can focus in on, I have my pick of the litter. Now I have so many candidates and in a, in a, in a, in a more diversity in my candidate pool, people with all different kinds of backgrounds, so I can be more uh, discriminant about the ones that I choose and, and, and really focus in on getting people who are going to be great performers. So, so are you saying that where a month ago we were worried about the risk that people would leave, now we're worried about the risk that they won't leave? Um, <laughs> <is> that... <laughs> That's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so how are you different? You know, there's, there, you know, at, at the the video interviewing end of this thing, there isn't anybody who who doesn't live on Zoom these days. And so, so how are you different from, from other ways of collecting this data with video? What's, what's, what's the thing that makes you different? Um, I think, you know, what, what, what makes us different is that, you know, we, we've been doing this for a long time. We're not a kind of fly by night, just came along and uh, have a bunch of data scientists, and we 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 throw them at this challenge. We're we're an organization that's staffed with. We have 40 industrial organizational psychologists and data scientists. And industrial organizational psychologists, they're 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 behavioral scientists. Um, they're they're experts in understanding behavior in the world of work. And so I think what really differentiates us is our kind of the the way that we approach this problem. It's it's not a purely empirical challenge of throwing a bunch of data in the hopper, using advanced analytics and tools, and voila, here's the algorithm. It really starts with a fundamental understanding of human behavior, and it's theoretically driven. It's what about people, what about candidates are we looking for, uh, and how does that relate to performance, and having a, a rational understanding of we're going to design a measure that looks like this because it's going to tell us this, and then we're going to go test that hypothesis with data. And so this very rational approach that we take, theory-driven approach, um, we're, we're kind of able to, to blend the best of both worlds, the theoretical um, understanding that our IO psychologists give us and then layer in, and many of our IO psychologists also are data scientists, so they have both of those backgrounds. They understand how to use the, the, the advanced analytical tools like Isaac um, is, is, is a perfect example of that. So they have both of those, where a lot of the companies out there now that are going after kind of solving this issue and, and using artificial intelligence to automate process and to design algorithms are doing it with dust empiricism and just what the data is telling them. Yeah. I, so I, the, go ahead. Well, I think when I look under the hood, when we open the hood of these, these alternative uh, vendors or methods, like who you said, a lot of them are not using science or they're not using the latest in AI. So there's those two buckets that are so important. One is the measurement science and one is the latest and greatest in AI. And you find that people without that solid foundation in measurement end up jeopardizing by poor decisions. For example, they might take a resume and link it with job performance. Job performance is super biased. Resumes are biased. So if you build an AI off of that relationship, you're going to have a very biased AI. Um, on the flip side, you have measurement scientists out there that are doing this really in a, in a way that is 10 or 20 years antiquated. And there's been huge gains in the AI world that allow us 
to be more accurate and to represent the candidate in a uh, much, yeah, a much more accurate way. And so if, if you have traditional measurement science without the latest in AI, you, you miss the big picture. You miss a lot of the nuance that a candidate brings to the, the table. And so, you know, it's very rare to find measurement science and the latest AI being promoted. Uh, um, I'm not saying that's impossible. It's just rare. And then once you get those two, you have to go through a continuum of steps. So, you know, we've been doing the deep learning with, with measurement for over three years now. And there's a lot of mistakes and, and learnings and successes that we've had over those years. And so that continuum, that path has to be, and that takes, that takes time. So give me a couple of examples of the nuance that you think you can pick up that others are not picking up. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. Um, traditional natural language processing. I, I used to hate it. Um, I, I, anytime somebody would ask me to do it, I'd, I'd roll my eyes because the, it was all correlational, meaning that if the words were in the response, then you would correlate it to an outcome. So there is no way to represent <laughs> the true nuance of language. Right. And this technique, this, this technique of just counting how many times somebody says, um, you know, I talk to people to count how extro extroverted they are. That that's the standard in our field for is it really? the last is 20 it years. Really? Yeah. Wow. Deep well, learning so comes on the scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's real bad. Deep learning comes on the scene and all of a sudden there's a mathematical way to capture word meaning and context of what that word was said, like in the, the series. And so with that, we can replicate a panel of expert judges on this, something like a podcast like this. If we transcribe it, we could, the deep learning could represent uh, or replicate expert judges um, in extracting things like customer service orientation from that, from that raw text. So, and so, so what you just said, look, 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 what you just said is that most of the NLP stuff boils down to self-reporting and that, and, and that somehow you guys have come up with a method for analyzing the same raw input and getting something that is uh, more, reliable than self-reporting is that right did i get that right yeah it's i think it's even worse than self-reporting i mean it's like an expert going in there and counting how many times somebody says a certain keyword it's it's really bad um and then they might link it to a self-report ours is much more nuanced and and you do have that right uh that's okay. all and, and i just uh just in, in that um, that's that's sort of the AI side of things. Another angle to come at this um, is, you know, the expertise that we bring is is you know getting a better starting point with the data that you're using to model to begin with. So one of the things that our team has expertise is is, is designing assessments, designing measurements, uh, and so um, the designing high fidelity simulations that that what you're getting from candidates is information that is clearly related to the job. It's going to be more predictive and it's fair. So John, you referenced the just taking data and replicating and replicating biases. 
a lot of times we're designing these measures and we're designing them around actually what drives success in the job rather than going and getting a database that just happens data that happens to be convenient but um, convenient but also full of bias yeah, I want to elaborate on that a little bit too in the future we're going to see artificial intelligence that can extract all kinds of personality, emotion, um, uh, and job-relevant constructs from every type of virtual interaction we have. That's, that's coming down the road. So like tweets to resumes, all that kind of stuff. And once that AI comes on the scene, the IO psychologist, the traditional measurement scientist, is going to be like, oh, my God, what do I do? What's my occupation? Like the AI just automated my science. But I think what Hootie is talking about is really the future of IO psychology as well. It's like, so you had a resume. It didn't show – the AI didn't pick up any customer service. So the AI has to understand like, hey, I actually don't know this person's customer service abilities. So then – it relies on a human expert or, or a series of human experts to say, what question do we ask them next to elicit the ability they have to be oriented towards the customer? And so that's where the, after the AI comes and, and takes over assessment, that there is still a place for measurement scientists to come back on the scene and guide that AI and help ask those questions that matter. Well, I think I think what you're saying is that is that most of the intelligence that's coming is focused on the measurement of a facet of things, and that that the human input to that process, once the measurement is complete, is putting all of the pieces together because they vary by so many factors that it's going to be challenging to get all of that into a single decision-making model. Is that what you're saying? Getting them all into a deci single decision-making model is beyond what I've been talking about. So imagine that you have all this data and you're pulling out all this information about the human. How do you represent that information to a key decision-maker? Uh, that's, a, that's a whole different can of worms, um, you, you know, because even information like the order of information um, could carry inherent biases or whatever. You have to train that information to relate to the job that is being hired for in the organization they are. And I think that's where you're talking about the cultural nuances. That's where a lot of our tradition is built on building custom assessments and that means training those generalizable models onto what matters for that company. Got it. Got it. So, so we're going to, we're going to, we're going to crash through the time barrier here, but, but let me ask you what you think the big ethical issues are. Yeah. And this, this is one that um, I think, you know, really speaks to, yeah, I alluded to it previously, but it, it's, it's where we differentiate and, and first and foremost, I think, and it colors the rest of this, is, is taking a humanistic approach. That, you know, we at Modern Hire, we're a, SaaS, we're a SaaS technology company. We work with big data. We use artificial intelligence. We model data. Um, but what we, we do it with the lens that, in the end, it's people making decisions about people. And so everything that we do is, is done with that lens of 
what about the candidate? What's the candidate experience? How can we make it more engaging? How can they take something away from it where they're learning about the company and the job? And how can we be transparent with them so um, they understand why we're doing this, how the data is being used, et cetera? So if you kind of do that, that that's a great starting point. And then kind of the, the second point, my second point kind of flows from that um, is just the, the, the scientific rigor that we take. And, and Isaac was representing that some is that um, just starting with theoretical understanding of why um, and designing our measures as such and really using data analysis to test out those hypotheses and model them. What it, what it does for us is it, is it enables us to understand um, why things are working and, and allows us to get away from the black box that's, that's very prevalent with AI is we just don't, we know it's working, but we don't understand why. We start with the understanding of why and build our models around that. And with having that understanding, it's a lot easier to share it back with your clients, your stakeholders, with legal, and with candidates, uh, candidates themselves. And then another one that 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 you know you have to mention is this this uh, is fairness. Uh, and John, you talked about using data that's that's that has bias um, and just replicating that. But the the way that we look at it is what we're able to do is actually eliminate bias. Um, we're able to actually encourage diversity. So the alternative being allowing humans to make decisions on you know whatever they choose to to make decisions on. Humans are flawed, biased decision makers. Uh, what we're doing is we're honing in on job relevant factors, the things that are just, the things that are documented to be relevant for the job. Uh, and we're actually analyzing data and tuning our algorithms and doing that on an ongoing basis to encourage that they're getting um, a, a diversity of candidates, not just kind of mitigating adverse impact, but actually the flip of that uh, in making sure that they're not stuck on rules of thumb like years of experience doing this and um, we're actually you know only focused in on factors that 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 link to on-the-job success man we should we should schedule soon another conversation because because you, you you just put a whole bunch of interesting topics on the table and, and i can tell you that 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 it's 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 my very loud and very public view that it's not possible to eliminate bias, and so so that'd be a great conversation because I assume yeah. you guys think yeah. about that uh, think about that very hard, um, uh, and um, you, you know I, I have a little poster on my wall here that lists 135 kinds of unconscious bias. So, uh, wow, that, that would be that would be, that would be a um, an exhaustive audit to run. <laughs> um, you know, so but 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 it's good to be it's good to be wrestling with the question, um, um, and it leads leads me to the sort of the last question that I have is you create insights and offer those insights to decision makers, but you don't. I can't imagine that you claim to offer the truth. You offer a probabilistic view of things. There's an 80% likelihood this is right. There's a 90% likelihood that this is right. Because if you said, here's the truth, you'd have to accept liability for the decision making, and no board of directors will let you do that. Um, so how do you teach people 
to weigh the risks in a probabilistic decision because if it's if it's a ninety percent likelihood that this person is going to be okay, I think that means there's a ten percent likelihood that it's going to be a complete disaster. Um, and and so so you have to teach people how to work with probabilistic information. And human beings are notoriously bad at handling this stuff. So how do you handle that? Yeah, absolutely right. And to take your example, the the ninety ten, um, but you know what we're doing is we're improving it from say seventy thirty. So we're increasing the odds. It's never you're trying to predict human behavior, so you're never going to get it a hundred percent right. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to increase the odds and you're trying to increase the hit rate. And then you're arming humans, decision makers, recruiters, and hiring managers with that information. And typically the way it's done is you're, you're prioritizing your tiering candidates, like, you know, tier one would be the 90% odd of getting it right. And then tier two would be the, you know, the 70% and, 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 you know, in terms of being a successful. So your odds, you're fishing in different pools that have different success rates, but we're still, it's up to the human to make the decision. Um, and to that end, not only providing scores back, but what we can do with our science is, is arm that human with, um, better evaluation. Say, hey, as you evaluate these candidates for this particular candidate, here's some areas that you might want to probe in on. Here were a few concerns follow up in this area, or these were some big strengths. Ask about those to confirm those. So it can actually help the, um, the, the interviewer, the individual vet, further vetting the candidate, be smarter about the way he or she evaluates that candidate. But you're absolutely right. It's all about probability, increasing that probability, but then arming that decision-making maker with better, um, better data and better guidance in terms of where they should be further evaluating the individual. Man, we could, we could, we could have this conversation for a couple of hours, I think. Um, but we have, we have exhausted our time slot. And so, so thanks for taking the time to do this. Um, would you please reintroduce yourselves and tell the audience how to get a hold of you? Sure. Yeah. Again, Mike Hootie, and I can be reached at Mike.Hootie, H-U-D-Y, at modernhire.com. And I'm Isaac Thompson. That can be Isaac.Thompson at modernhire.com. Also can hit me up on social media, especially LinkedIn. Okay. Thanks for doing this, guys. I really appreciate you taking the time. You are at the cutting edge, um, and it's a treat to get a chance to walk through a little bit of it with you. You've been listening to HR Examiner. You're welcome. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations, and we've been talking with Mike Hootie and Isaac Thompson from Modern Hire. Thanks for tuning in this week, and we will see you back here same time next week. Bye-bye now.